from St. John's first epistle, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Glad to see you here today. Today is not only Mother's Day, it is the last Sunday of the Easter season. Next Sunday, we will celebrate the Ascension when Christ returns back to heaven from whence he came. And so, if you've been here these past uh, six weeks, we've been talking about sort of the same story over and over again. That Jesus meets people in his resurrected state, and he changes them. Peter, James, John, Mary, the whole shooting match, man. Everybody that comes across Christ after he's resurrected is transformed. How could you not be? And so today we're going to wrap it all up, put a bow on it, and we're going to, we're going to, what is that noise? Okay. We're going to wrap it all up with this, uh, this text from John's epistle, which is kind of rambly and kind of seemingly incoherent, but actually is a super cool train of thought. Four little verses from St. John's first epistle. We're going to look at, we're going to, today's a special treat, ladies. For Mother's Day, you get a, not a one, not a two, not a three, but a four-point sermon. Because my wife said to me, what I really want for Mother's Day, put away that drool, you fool. I want a four-point sermon. So honey, here it goes. Four points, four marks of a Christian. A Christian loves God. A Christian loves God's people. A Christian obeys God. And a Christian has victory. Got all that? I'll repeat them as we go through. A real Christian loves God, loves God's people, obeys God. That's the tricky one. And then has victory in life. So you ready? Yes? Good, because we're going to do it either way. (laughs) The first thing, the first thing we see from this epistle, and again, read this again later because there's a lot in this epistle, uh, is the first thing that we notice is that the first mark of a Christian is that a Christian loves God. Now that might seem obvious, that might seem kind of common sense, and part of that is, it, is because of, well, hippies. Where is this coming from? Well, Maybe it's not hippies, but I think so. Uh, Back since the 60s, you would see these t-shirts, right? They would say what? Jesus loves you, with a big smiley face, right? And and all that sort of thing. I'm always reminded of a situation. I was in college. Uh, I was not a Christian, and I was with my friend Chris Marino, who was also not a Christian. A lot of fun, but not a Christian. Uh, He's now a Christian, thankfully. But I'll never forget, Chris was driving, and I was in the passenger seat. We pulled up at a stoplight, and there was a car in front of us. And it said on the bumper sticker, I think it said, smile, Jesus loves you. And Chris Lee goes, Jesus loves me, or Jesus loves you. And he looked at me, and I was in the passenger seat, and he said, so what? You know, he's actually onto something. He, because I, I think we've said this so often, God loves you, whatever that means, which we're going to get into, that we take it for granted. But it's actually, it's an extremely crazy thing to say. Um, if you stop and if you look at the history of human religions, right, outside of Christianity, if you look at the history of human religions, the gods or God was not loved. The gods were feared. 
If you look at the history of human religions, human beings did not love God. God didn't love us. Human beings were either food or slaves or objects of, how shall I say this, uh, intimate company. I'll give you an example. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I was reading an article or a, a discovery they'd made in Peru, an ancient rit- a ritual burial ground devoted to some god, I don't know which one. And in that burial ground, they found 140 uh, children who were um, ritually dispatched. And I remember thinking of myself, ritually dispatched in, 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 in a religious kind of ceremony. And I remember, and these are not just, these are not slaves captured in some war party. These were people from that own community, right? People that their own parents and grandparents had actually done this to these children. And I thought to myself, my God, what kind of animals, what kind of primitives would sacrifice their own offspring? You know, we look at that with sort of 21st century self-righteous indignation. But, you know, it occurred to me when I was reading this article, something really, really, really important. Listen to this. Ancient people loved their children, too. These were not animals. These were not monsters. No, no, the reason that they did it, you see, is that these, this culture took the most important things that they had, money, livestock, and families, frankly, and offered them to the gods, not because they loved the gods, but because they feared them. Let me just make this point to you, and if, maybe I'm risking it here. It is Mother's Day, and I know maybe it's a little bit off, but I want you just to hear this, that, you know, people will, you have to understand when we talk about God's love for you, that is an outrageous thing to say in the history of human religion because the claim of Scripture, you see, is that God loves us first. It's an astoundingly odd thing to say. But it's absolutely critical to understand that it is central to the Christian faith that God loved you, and I'll get to that in a second. And he loved you not because of you, and not because of me, God knows, but the reason that God loves humanity now is because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, listen, and make us lovable, make us worthy make us able to stand before God and live. In other words, friends, let me just say this point blank. God's love is a gift given to humanity for us to accept. But God's love is not, God is not some needy, gray-bearded grandfather in the sky. No. What makes you and I lovable is that Christ died for us and paid for our sins and reconciles us to God. So let me ask you that, saying all that, because that word love does not mean, I love you, I love you, you're such a cute little, no. That's philios, or eros, but this word is the word agape, and it means when you put your needs of someone else ahead of your own. So let me ask you a question, and it's not a rhetorical one, this might sting, but buckle in. That's what I do here. Do you believe that God really loves you? And I don't mean in a second person plural. I mean first, I mean singular. Do you believe that God loves you? Of course I do, Father. Well, hang on a sec. Let me challenge you a little bit. Let me ask you some questions. Do you worry? Do you fear? 
Do you struggle with self-doubt and insecurity and a need to always prove yourselves? Well, maybe there's a little more Peruvian Indian in you than you think. Because maybe you, dear, you really do fear God more than you think you do. Maybe a big part of this, of your own hang-ups, and we've all got them, man, so this, I'm not standing here pointing my finger, what I'm trying to show you is this very profound thing to illustrate the enormity of God's love. Because for every single person in this room, every human heart wants to prove itself before God. And yet, what Christianity says is, no, man, you can't prove yourself before God, but Jesus died for you. And God loves you. Listen, God loves you not because of you at all, you see. Not because of your moral performance, but because Jesus died in your place and in mine to make us lovable. And the point I want you to see here, and I'm going to move on quickly, is that God's love is a gift, and gift offered to all humanity, and those who accept it, upon those rests God's love. That's my first point, and it's a really important one. God's love is not some cheap thing thrown, thrown around by some needy old, old man, no. God's love is redemptive. And the second mark of a person who is a Christian is the first mark that they're loved and they know it. The second mark is that we are then become people who love. Look at the epistle here again. John says that everyone who loves the Father, look at this, loves whoever has been born of him. Let me just say this. When you realize that God's favor, his love for you is a gift, it is unmerited and undeserved, but given to you by God because he wants to save you. When you get your mind around that, it makes you grateful, it makes you thankful, and it makes you, listen, able to love others. That's John's point. You know, my, my former assistant priest, his name was Father Jason Murbogger. Some of you remember him. Most of you don't because you're new. He left here about, I don't know, four or five years ago, I guess. His wife, Sharon Murbogger, had a really profound thing she used to say. She used to say, uh, Say, so, you know, say, Father, you know, hurt people, hurt people. I love that. It's true. Hurt people, hurt people. Then she said, but you know what? Loved people, love people. And this is the point that John's making, that when you realize that God loves you and gave himself for you, you cannot help but loving others. It is this love for others that makes Christians different. Paul said, or John says this, for we know that we love the children of God. Once we are saved, we love the children of God. We are, we are, we can't not. And I want to show you something really cool here, and I'm going to move on. This is Mother's Day, and there's a cool expression here that says that we love the children of God. That expression there is the Greek word technotheu. It's a possessive. Theu is God's, God's possession. You could, you could literally read that as we are God's kiddos. It is an intimate connection with our Father when Christ dies for us on the cross and reconciles us to our Father. That we become God's kids. Little kids. Anybody here have children? Most of you do. I do. They are my techna, my kids. Anybody here grandparents or godparents? What the scripture is saying, which is outrageous and just beautiful, is that as Christians, we are able to, because we are loved as God's children, technotheu, possession, we can love others. You know, there are, I'll give you an example, I'll move on. We have a new preschool here. 
uh, which some of you have your kids come to and some of you even teach at it. Um, the preschool here is awesome. The playground is literally right next to my office. And when, I, when this thing first launched, I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> kids think they're dinosaurs yelling, Rah! it's great. I have to tell you, though, uh, I love it because I can hear them out there. I just know not to make phone calls at certain point in times of the day. But uh, I love watching these little kids run around because it just it gives my heart joy that here are these kids making dinosaur noises or, or running around on their bicycles and crashing into stuff and just doing what little kids do. And you listen to them in this joy. These, these are sounds of little unjaded Christians, little unjaded humans. Think about it. These are kids that have joy in things because they haven't yet gotten burned. They're not jealous or suspicious or envious. They will be once the world hands them some, some challenges. But for, as, as little kids, they are technotheu. They are little kids. And that's what the scripture says about us. We are God's children. That he sees us like I look at those little rugrats on the playground. I delight in them. I think it's fun. I kind of wish part of me wishes I could be out there with them. But friends, if you are loved by God, that means he delights in you, that we are God's family. And in a few moments, we are going to welcome four new people into our family as sons of God, Charles, Walter, William, and Chandler. There he goes. And what, we're gonna, what we discover is that what binds these children, God's children together is this idea of love, because God first loved us. And let me be specific here. That word love means something very important. Listen. When it says, smile, God loves you, realize what it's saying. It's saying that God put your needs ahead of his own. That's what the word love means. And because God has put his, our needs ahead of his own, dying on a cross to save us, we are called to love others and put others ahead of our own. So here, let me just challenge you on something, because love is not easy, man. It's not an emotion, and it's not warm and fuzzy. But I want to challenge you. I wanna, this is a real question I want you to ask, because it's a mark of a Christian. Who can, who can you love today? And don't say your mom. It's Mother's Day. That's too easy. I mean, love your mom, right? But I want you to be a little braver than that. I want you to think about someone that you can love. Someone that you can love that maybe you don't even like that much. Someone you can love that maybe drives you crazy. Someone you can love that's a challenge. I came across a book the other day on Google or on uh, Amazon. I think like, you know, they spy on you, right? So they kind of give you books that you might like. And one popped up. I've not read it. If you've read it, tell me if you liked it. But the title was awesome. Ready for this? by a guy named Arthur Brooks. If you know him, talk to me about it later. He, the title of the book is Love Your Enemies. The subtitle is the best part. Love Your Enemies, he says. How decent people can save America from the culture of contempt. That's a great title. Love Your Enemies, subtitle, How Decent People Can Save America from the Culture of Contempt. Friends, that title is true. And Christians are called to love, to change the culture, one person at a time. So my challenge for you is find someone to love. Someone that you maybe don't even know that well. Checkers at Publix are always good targets for this sort of thing. Seriously, be kind. Be patient. Be loving. Put their needs ahead of your own. Give somebody a really, really big tip at Mother's Day brunch today. I don't know, whatever. Because Christianity, friends, is a contact sport. It requires you and I to get off the couch and get into the game to love the other the way that Christ has loved us. That's the second point. Third point, quickly, is this. If, we are, if God loves us and we are called to love, the third thing that marks a Christian is obedience. John says this in verse 2. 
By this we know that we love the children of God, whom we love God and obey his commandments. We don't like that. I don't like that word, obey. Nobody does. But I want you to see something here. Everybody obeys. Everybody obeys something. I mean, there's the obvious ones, like your wife or your husband, right, or your children, right? But I mean, but everybody obeys something. The IRS, your boss, your but even more subtly, each one of us freely chooses things to which we will be bound. Each one of us freely chooses things which we will be obedient. Our dinner plans, our tea times at golf, all sorts of things that take precedence over Jesus. And what I'm challenging you today is love your enemies, sure. Be loved, love your enemies, and be obedient to him. So let me ask you this, another question. What do you obey? This is a biggie. What do you obey? Well, who or what do you obey? And another way to look at it is, is like this. Who or what writes the rules of how you live your life? Who or what writes the rules of how you live your life? Because, friends, we all obey something. And that leads me to my fourth point, that we are then called to be loved by God, to love others, to obey God and then live a life of victory. This is awesome. You know, when I was in New Jersey, I don't think I've ever told you this before. When I was in New Jersey, um, this idea of victory, I was really involved with this group called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Anybody know them? Great group. And the the premise of the whole group is this, that you find typically football players and basketball players. Think Tim Tebow. He was one of these people. And you find these people, and you convert them to Christianity, and then you use them as influencers to go out and influence these teams of kids, football, basketball teams. And it's, it's a, I love the organization. It was just so, like, right there, right? You get the guy, you get the quarterback, you get Tim Tebow, and the influence they can have is amazing. Anyway, I was at one point, uh, there's a guy who was a famous NFL player. I'd tell you his name if I could remember. I can't. But he, was, he went to the Super Bowl, big time. He's one of the quarterbacks. And he gave his testimony. He said, you know, when I was going through high school and playing ball, for the, I think he's playing for the Giants, actually, he, he said, I wanted to win. I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to be the best. And then the problem was I eventually was. And it failed me. John says in verse 4, listen to this. This is so profound. You want victory? Here's, what you, here's how you do it. For everyone... Verse 4, whoever has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our trust in God. That word overcome, that word overcome is an awesome word. It's the word niku, Nike, like the shoes, right? It means to conquer. It's so cool. John says, listen, if you have been born of God and are loved by him and love others and obey him, you will have victory in life. You will have all the things you want, man. You'll be a rock star. Maybe you will be a rock star. I don't know. But you know, we all spend so much time trying to prove ourselves, trying to overcome our enemies, trying to make a name for ourselves. But don't you see, this is such a profound thing that Jesus has already got, done it, man. Jesus has got this. Jesus has got this. He's got you. He's raised from the dead. He knows everything. He's God. Nothing happens which is not under his control. And he loves you. And his concern is for you. So why do you worry? Jesus has asked this very question. All of our achievements, all of our awards, all of our plaques, all of our goals, all the accolades of the world, even Super Bowl rings, in the long run, they don't matter. But if you are God's child, you see, 
If you are a Christian, then you, you matter. And not only that, you've got victory in Jesus. He's going to work it all out. It might not be pleasant. It might not be pretty. But Jesus knows what he's doing. And more importantly, he's got a plan. Our Father has a plan. And friends, you and I as his children are a part of it. And if that's true, if Jesus loves you and you love him in return, then your victory is already won. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who makes us worthy of your love. Help us to love others. Help us to do what you call us to do, to give us the assurance of your victory in our own lives, even as we trust in you and rely on you as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.